Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how are we doing? We are doing quite well, Scott. Waters have receded, so I think the worst of the storm has passed the coast. So I think there's a lot of people breathing a sigh of relief right now. That is so great to hear. We were on with some folks this morning, one of which, of course, was uh, based down in Florida, had been through, I think, by this count, his 13th hurricane's been through. And of course, so many folks are still recovering from the last disastrous hurricane. So right. uh, may they continue. Hopefully this thing is just a lot of wind and, and a little bit extra rain. So that's great to hear, Greg. So on a much lighter note, though, on today's show here at Supply Chain Now, we're talking about one of our favorite topics. Am I right, Greg? Yes, it's my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all know that. And that's planning, planning and planning. We're going to be chatting with a business leader, which I know you're going to enjoy uh, hearing from, on four essential components of effective and successful supply chain planning. So, Greg, I know you're excited for this conversation, but what, you know, why is this one of your favorite topics? Well, I mean, it, you know, this goes to the root of supply chain, right? You know, I believe the consumer is the beginning and the end of the supply chain. There is no reason for supply if there is no demand. So you have to understand your environment. It's now a very complex environment. I mean, it wasn't nearly as complex when we were cave dwellers. I got a piece of fruit and you're hungry, right? <laughs> but now we've got all these complexities in supply chain. You have to plan not only for the demand, but for how you'll fulfill it and how you'll mitigate risk throughout your supply chain as you're trying to do that. Oh, man, it's been a lot more complex as we have been brave enough to leave our caves and dinosaurs behind, right? <laughs> Kidding aside, we got a great show today. It's going to be very practical, inspirational even, I'll call it. And you're going to walk away with a, a lot of actionable insights from our friends at GEP. So in the meantime, though, Greg, got yes. a bunch of folks tuned in and we want to hear from all of you, right? Everyone in the cheap seats, the sky boxes, Peter Bolet all night and all day. OPB is back with us. Good day to you in Canada, where I bet you've got nicer, more football-ready weather up there. Don't you think, Greg? Yeah, I think they, they need to be uh, breaking out the parkas pretty soon if they haven't already. Chris Harding from Lincoln, the United Kingdom. Hey, he's just realizing he's quantifying 30 seconds in a whole new way watching that countdown. Hey, however we can help, Chris. So however. is it longer than you thought, or is it shorter? Because <laughs> it also depends on what you're trying to do in those 30 seconds. That is right. And Masawar via LinkedIn. Great to see you uh, here with us today from Islamabad, Pakistan. Great to see you here, Masawar. Uh, and we want to hear from everybody. And by the way, Peter's giving us a quick weather up check. 18 degrees Celsius. Man, we got. what's that conversion there, I wonder? I have no idea. Well, Peter, I bet Peter's going to let us know. <laughs> it's at a certain, above zero, it's like plus 32 and some other factor. Let me get my protractor out. We'll, we'll figure it out. Right? But uh, I bet it's just going to be cold. I bet I'm just going to say, go down on a limb and say it is cold, but I bet it's gorgeous. Okay. Well, welcome everybody. So we want to look forward to all of your perspective as we walk through this conversation on four essential components of effective supply chain planning. With that said, Greg, I want to introduce our distinguished guest here today, Robert Jacoby, Vice President, Global Supply Chain Consulting Practice with GEP. 
Hey, Robert, how you doing? Great, Scott. How are you? Doing wonderful. Uh, were your ears burning a little bit as Greg and I were talking about supply chain planning? Yes, they were. I know it's a favorite topic of Greg, so of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we invited you over, you know, so we can talk about it. Oh, Absolutely. It's going to be so much fun. And again, really informational and folks can walk away here with uh, a, lot of, a lot of stuff they can, they can act on. Um, <laughs> But before we get there, Robert, we like to start with some fun warm-up questions around here to you know show a little personality from our guests and our, our panels typically. So today, I want to start with this one because today on this day, back in 1969, some 53 years ago, the wildly popular Sesame Street made its debut, of course, changing kids' television programming forever. So with that as a backdrop, I want to ask both of y'all, what was one of your favorite TV shows growing up? Robert? So that's uh, that's an, uh, interesting to note uh, that Sesame Street is that old. I never would have guessed. But yeah, so I will tell you the show that may actually made an impact on me. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. It's called Star Blazers. I don't think so. Yeah. New for me. Okay. So it was in the mid to late 70s. And it was, to my knowledge, it, so it came from Japan. I think it was the first example of anime. Okay. came over. And I lived and died by that show. And I've been a, a science fiction guy my whole life, hardcore science fiction guy. And I think that was probably the early hook for me. I love that show so much. They had three seasons, and I think one and a half were released in the U.S. And so there are these mystery seasons that only showed in Japan that we could never see. And mm-hmm. as I got to be an adult, I went and bought them and, and finally got to keep watching. <laughs> I <laughs> love that. on YouTube, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Star Blazers. So, hey, all right. So we're finding out a little about Robert. Folks, in the cheap seats in the comments, let us know what show was inseparable from your upbringing for sure. All right. So, Greg, that's going to be a tough one to top. Star Star Blazers. What about you? Johnny Quest. Oh, yeah. Johnny and Haji and Race Bannon and and Bandit. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was a great show. I loved it. I used to just die for that to come come on. Okay. I think, though, Robert, I think Speed Racer might have been the first anime. Do you remember that? Oh, totally. And you it could be right Racer about that. Go. The, um, I mean, they may have come out roughly at the same time. That's an oh, was it really? Yeah. My gosh, I don't know. Um, I, I may not be as much older than you as I thought. Yeah. <laughs> well, and not, not up on your anime either, uh, Greg. But, <laughs> but hey, nevertheless. If you ever go to YouTube and find the uh, the theme song for Star Blazers, it may because it, it's really distinctive. It may trigger in your head. Okay, oh, and it'll hook you right right from there. Well, I just got to add one more uh, to y'all's list there uh, between Johnny Quest and Star Blazers. Um, for mine, maybe it's not as exciting as those. The A Team. I watched the A Team and MacGyver religiously. Right, you know, love it when a plan comes together. They always had to knock out BA because he hated flying. You know, B.A. Baracus, uh, of course, played by legendary <laughs> Industry T. Uh, wild, crazy Murdoch, you know, uh, who yes. all, who happened to be just crazy enough to get create, you know, creative problem solving done. So the A team supply chain needs to be done more, maybe uh, in creative problem solving ways like the A team. Maybe I don't know, but all right. So Robert and Greg, that wraps our little brief walk down memory lane. I want to say hello to a few more folks, and we're going to dive into. Uh, today's main discussion. So I want to welcome in Jalal. I believe I said that right. If I didn't, let us know. From Saudi Arabia, great to have you here with us. Hey, Jenny Patsloff, great to see you here. And Jenny is agreeing with Amanda, who loved Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. And, I did too. Uh, Amanda also mentioned Saved by the Bell. I'm sure we had some big fans of that. Shy, Star Trek, The Simpsons, Seinfeld, we're all part of, of their preferred TV shows. Great to have you here with us. Mukan, great to have you from Canada. 
and Kush. PB says Gilligan's Island. Get smart oh, yeah. and others. Okay. Love it. Y'all keep them coming. Welcome, everybody. No, we couldn't hear everybody's comment there, but y'all keep <clears> the perspective coming. Okay. So, Robert and Greg. Robert, what I want to do here, you know, before we get into these four essentials that you're going to share with us, let's level set a bit. You know, you're out there with you know, organizations, you know, moving and shaking industry with business leaders doing the same. They've been in your ear. You've had your finger on their pulse. Give us some observations of what you're seeing out there in industry, Robert. So I, I see a mix of things going on. And a lot of this ties back, obviously, to COVID and the pandemic and how organizations have responded to that. COVID was nothing more than a metaphor for large-scale disruption and uncertainty and risk management and governance in the supply side of the supply chain, for sure. But I almost, I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I almost feel like there's like a line of demarcation that's out there right now. And I can see clients on, on either side of it. Those, and I don't know what the exact percentage is. So the percentage I wish would grow would be those that are getting smarter about supply chain, decided that, hey, we need to actually have supply chain operating model design as a competitive weapon. It needs to be part of the C-suite is certainly part of our strategy. We need to go look at the capabilities that go fill that operating model and then go deploy those to go win in the marketplace. I think on the other side, you've got companies that maybe they just lack the visionaries. They haven't. Maybe they're just dipping their toe in digital and things like that. They haven't embraced it like they should have. I do see that. And I think what you can actually see happening too, and I think it's a perfect segue for supply chain planning, is that companies that are on that other side of the line, they're not being strategic. They haven't responded in a certain way. They haven't fixed the gaps. They're going to face a competitive gap and they probably already are in some ways. They may not know it yet. Yes. Uh, Okay. Greg? He is talking your language in a couple of different ways. What would be some of your comments based on what Robert shared with observations from industry? Yeah, I think we have seen a couple of, uh, I don't know if I would call them extremes, but they are definitely predominant models. And it is those companies who've seen the light and started to evolve their supply chain, uh, give it a seat at the table, recognize that it is a huge part of the business. Right. And it's not just about moving product. It's, I mean, it's really about protecting your brand identity and your brand promise. And then on the other hand, we've got people who are, I would say, backsliding or using hope as a strategy. They're hoping that all this disruption is over so they can go back to the way things were in the good old days. Right. Uh, Those companies, I mean, Robert has to be nicer than I do. A lot of those companies are going to go out of business. That's just the way it is because you have to be unbelievably agile. You have to have eyes in the back of your head, your head on a swivel, all of those cliches, because it's not the hope that's, that kills you, despite what they said on Ted Lasso. It's the blind spots that kill you. So you have to eliminate these blind spots in your supply chain. You have to be anti-fragile, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that's one of the things that companies have to have to acknowledge. Agreed. Robert, any comments there on what Greg shared before we move into, you know, kind of unveiling, unveiling the, the four central components? Any, any last uh, observations there? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the complicating factor. So if you came to me and said, tell me the number one thing you're talking to your client about, there, there is no number one thing. There's like five or six or seven things, and they're all equally important, all equally strategic. We have to talk about strategy and supply chain. We have to talk about digital. We have to talk about ESG and sustainability and carbon takeout. We have to talk about traditional topics like cost service management, all that stuff. And the the C-suite is changing, whatever the right metaphor is. This isn't your father's supply chain anymore. Yeah. It's not the same anymore. And I think we were going in that direction. And then COVID just hammered us in that direction. Yep. Agreed. And you know, the silver linings, I want to say this very carefully, but the silver linings from the pandemic and, and how they 
have really forced us, some willing, some unwilling to change how we do business. And, and there's going to be a lot of that that's going to be permanent. It's going to be really good things. Uh, some of those critical lessons learned, no, no matter how painful they were. So thank you, Robert and Greg, for sharing some of those observations. All right, right before we dive into these four central components, I got to share Chris Harding and many others are sharing plenty of uh, nostalgia. But Inspector Gadgets, one of the things, one of the uh, shows he watched, we need more Inspector Gadgets in global supply chain, don't we? He's got a fix for everything. But thank you, Chris, uh, for sharing those. Okay, so kind of center center portion, right? Grand marquee part of the today's discussion. These four essential components of effective supply chain planning. Robert, where are we getting started? What's number one? Number one is it, this. Is interesting. I think it's the, probably the most critical, but it's also I think less intuitive. I mean, it hasn't really been practiced a lot. What I say, and I talk to this all the time with my clients is that your supply chain planning capabilities have got to be aligned to basically execute your competitive business strategy. And people look at me and say, well, you know, that's that makes a lot of sense. It's almost you know, what's special about that. The devil's always in the details. So if you think mm-hmm. if we pull one step back for a second, I'm talking about business level competitive strategy and how our clients, Fortune 1000, Fortune 500 companies are going to go compete. Usually it's around one of three or four different ways. They're going to compete as an OE type company, operational effectiveness with really low cost, and therefore they're going to compete on price. That's one niche. Another niche is service, customer intimacy, high customer touch, high uh, replenishment, things like that is a second one. The third one is technology and innovation, product leadership. Usually one of those two or one, they'll go uh, try and execute against. The thing being that a supply chain capability set for an OE company is a very looks very different than one for a high service. And you actually have to really, in a purposeful way, go down to the lowest levels, how you design it, the metrics, the analytics, the data you're gathering, the capabilities are in place. So we'll have we'll have forecasting for an OE company. We'll have forecasting for a customer service company, but there'll be very different models. Mm. And you have to recognize that and you have to make sure that that, that is purposely designed in place. Now, I'll give you a quick example. If you're an OE type company that's really focused on being lean and agile with, with not a lot of working capital deployed, you're probably going to focus heavily on a really strong statistical forecasting program. It'll be a portfolio approach. You'll probably have analytics, but you really want to drive high accuracy in your forecast and drive inventories down and become lean and efficient, et cetera. If you're a service leader, customer intimacy type leader, you care less about forecast accuracy and much more about customer collaboration on the demand side Mm -hmm. and getting in bed with your customers. So two very different approaches, but two equally valid. They just have to line up to the strategy you're trying to execute. Oh, Robert, I love that. Greg, your comments here on this first one, this first essential component of successful supply chain planning, the powerful alignment. Yeah, I mean, it, at the highest level, being part of your competitive strategy is really important, right? Regardless of the tactics that you take or the type of customers that you service or even your service model. But I think that is the thing that ha- has to occur. And Robert's going to talk about that. One of these four, I may have looked ahead. <laughs> is really critical to enabling that, but making it it key to your strategy, your competitive strategy in your organization is an absolute must. It's not your dad's supply chain, right? It's not that dark magic that people think is done by guys in sweaty blue shirts with their names on it, right? I mean, it's much more ethereal. It's much less brute force and much more scientific these days. Mm, awesome. That's true. Yeah. All right. So that's just the first one, Robert and Greg. Uh, Robert, do you want to add anything else before I start to shift gears? Yeah, I think there's a ton of examples out there just quickly on this particular topic that you can actually find companies that 
go into that direction and they're savvy about this point, you can actually see a competitive advantage being eked out. So the, the biggest one that I always talk about, everybody knows this, it's, it's somewhat old, but it's still a good one. So think about Dell. When Dell came online with this configure to order, build to order capability some, what, 30 years ago or whatever it was, it took IBM and HP and Lenovo 25 years to catch back up. Dell hammered the marketplace and they were an OE company. They came in so lean and configurable and um, they just, that plan, that was all about planning. That planning capability model was hard for anybody else to replicate for more than two decades. So that's just kind of a glaring example of, of, of what I'm referring to. Yeah. And Greg, what he is mentioning there part in part is uh, how it can add to your competitive advantage, right? And, and create more distance between you and your competitors, right? Unquestionably. I mean, you know, it went from being supply chain has, has gone from being um, a necessary evil. That's what people loved to kind of call it in the old days to a competitive advantage to now it is your brand. Mm. I mean, the thing that has changed the most about supply chain is not the frequency or level of disruption. It's the awareness in the marketplace. Everyone knows what supply chain is. Robert and I spent decades having people walk away from us or watching their eyes glaze over at cocktail parties when we said we were in supply chain, (laughs) right? Now people actually want to talk about it. They have an opinion, at least, if even if they don't have knowledge, and a lot of people have knowledge, they at least get the foundational concept. I order some stuff, your supply chain gets it to me on time, right? And where I want it. So Love it. that's the thing that has changed the most. There is nowhere to hide anymore. That's right. I agree. I agree completely. All right. So a couple of thoughts. First off, when we talk about this alignment and what both of you are speaking to, the power of it, as long as you get it right and you don't leave anyone behind, right? Everybody's got to be singing to that sheet of music, know what we're doing here, right? And that can be the tricky part oftentimes. And then secondly, on a lighter note, Robert, man, if the next three are as good as the first one, <laughs> you already set the tall bar here. So the first one here we're talking pressure's about. Pressure's on. Pressure's on. The four essentials of effective supply chain planning. The first one really speaks to the power of real deliberate alignment in, in, in a number of different ways. I'm just simplifying there. What's the second one, Robert? The second one is that, again, these seem to be common sense, but you don't ever want to just um, disregard the fact these things don't happen automatically. The capability needs to integrate the company both up and down and left and right inside the organization. That's one of the things that makes getting supply chain planning right difficult is because if you have a company, especially large companies, complex supply chains that are far-reaching, multi-continental, global kind of things, you have to... So the essence of planning is not to go, hey, let's go let's go optimize transportation spend. It's really to optimize and plan all of the, the resources you need to have in your supply chain, your extended value chain to deliver, like Greg was saying. And so that means that you really have to have integration across multiple functions that may not at times like to integrate and collaborate with one another. I mean, I've, just to be totally honest, right, I've spent time in industries like in rail, not the, the most progressive of, of industries, but the supply chain and operational break in rail is described as belligerent as time. They, they just don't like each other. So to get all the benefits out of planning, you really have to have that integration course, top to bottom. You have to make sure that as you set that competitive strategy, you're pushing it down to the lowest levels in the organization. And you got some guy picking an order in a warehouse or somebody else prioritizing an outbound shipment that has to align to what was determined in the C-suite and left to right is again, you're bringing all those resources and departments together in a good synchronized way. That's right. That integration, that uh, silo busting but that's an in apostrophe right. when I say that, Greg. Your thoughts there on number two? I think the horizontal within your four walls is the most difficult. Sorry, I had to think about that. <laughs> within your four walls is 
is harder in a lot of cases than it is, you know, your uh, external trading partners or service providers because you all have a common interest, but you may have conflicting metrics yeah. or conflicting goals within within that common interest within the company. For instance, sales and supply chain usually not friends. Yeah, and each one blames the other for the latest bad thing that happened to the company. Right? You over forecasted. Well, you overbought. Well, whatever. And, and I think that is really really key to get your own house in order. And I don't think one is a precursor to the other. I mean, whichever one you get in order first will expose any frailties you have in the other. If you get your vertical in order first, you'll expose the horizontal frailties within your company. But Mm -hmm. it is an an absolute necessity. And frankly, it's tremendously uplifting to every aspect of the business, right? When you can tell someone in merchandising why they shouldn't buy a 100,000 dark purple socks both left feet or whatever, right? Some people probably <laughs> care which feet their socks go on. I'll be one. I, I had no idea socks were made for different feet. I'm learning something they can every be. day, Greg. Okay. They can be, yeah. Anyway, you know, that kind of communication actually creates uplift within the whole organization. You change how you design products and you change how you sell products and you change how you, you source and deliver those products. All at once, and with, if everyone knows what everyone else is doing and what everyone else's goals are, they don't just yell at you. They understand that, hey, you know, in some cases, it's the goal's fault, That's which right. you know has to be resolved. But it's not anything personal. Yep. Really quick, good old Gino's with us here today. Gino, great to see you there in North Alabama. Yeah, we get to call him Gino now. That's, That's right. right. Uh, he, he exposed that. <laughs> he says the truth. Uh, Robert, Gino is not only a supply chain practitioner and an educator, but he's also a drummer. And he sent me some pictures. I, I, I should have had those teed up ready to share here today, but great <laughs> to have you here with yeah. us. And Jenny, as we're talking about number two being integration, she says, also heard it called orchestration. You can't have mm-hmm. violins, uh, violins and trumpets play at different times in the orchestra. I love that example. Robert, I'm going to give you the last word here on number two being you know the powerful in- integration. Yeah, it's... I mean, it really, it's like so many other things. It is something that is set and determined by the senior leadership in the company. If they foster that collaboration and that agreement, it'll happen. If they don't, it will not. If they don't purposely go out and set the metrics, then it won't happen either. This was a handful of years ago. I was at, I think it was a Reuters supply chain conference, and they had a senior vice president of Walmart merchandising who gave up, gave his talk. Afterwards, he was taking Q&A, and I asked him specifically the question about metrics and things like that. And he said, I'll, I'll never forget it. He said, we have, we have our procurement category managers, a portion of their metrics is fill rate at the retail shelf level. They have responsibility for a category manager. And he said, we try and do those things as creatively as we can. And I thought that was a great example of, um, of trying to break that practice of not doing it in an integrated way. Love that. All right. Mm-hmm. So for the sake of time, and by the way, hello, Kevin Bell. Great to see you back here. Hope this finds you well. Robert, you and Greg, that's right. We Recently. were just quoting Kevin the other day. It's possible to find opportunities in this environment without being opportunistic. I'm butchering that a little bit, Kevin, but I lo- we that's love That's not spirit. butchering. That's paraphrasing. Oh, paraphrasing. Thank that's you. a positive spin on it. <laughs> okay. Same. All right. Directionally correct. That's right. All right. So Robert, we worked halfway through the list here and really appreciate your earlier comment because you know, it's not like we're unveiling the Colonel's seven secret spices and herbs, but as you spoke to, it's all in the execution and, and how it's done. And as you mentioned on these big, large enterprises, I mean, that's where 
the challenge. It's not necessarily knowing what to do, although there's some of that, but how to do it. Would you agree with that, Robert? Yeah, absolutely. How to do it and how to do it sustainably. So it, mm. it perpetuates over time. It's hard to do. Yes, very difficult. Okay, alignment and integration, again, uh, in a succinct manner, those are the first two. What's number three, Robert, on the four essential components of effective supply chain planning? Number three is that we would we say we would like to have that capability set uh, IoT enabled and digitally planned or digitally powered. IoT enabled means that we're getting a ton of data from the ecosystem. That's one of the biggest changes in supply chain planning. I'm sure, Greg, we've got tons of examples, right? Over the last three or four years and beyond, you know, it used to be we looked at order history and you go create a, a forecast. So those days are long gone. We're pulling data in from shop floor, from third-party partners, from the transportation network, things like that. So you want to pull in as much as you can. You want to have a portfolio approach to planning. We're not just going to go rely on one tool or one metric. And we should have it digitally enabled where we've got good predictive and strong decision support tools that can now take that data and do things with it that you haven't been able to do before. Mm, Love that, Robert. All right, so Greg, got a question for you. You mean past history? doesn't guarantee future. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I call it postcasting, right? It's not even forecasting. It's expecting that the history isn't, is that history is somehow an indication of the future, right? You know, when I think of it this way, we can't, we really struggle as humans to think about it any differently. When Henry Ford went to people and said, how would they like to change their transportation? He said, we want a faster horse, right? They didn't ask they, they didn't know to ask for anything else, right? But he had the ability to actually sort of forecast how, okay, how do I create a faster horse? Well, it's not a horse at all, is it? It's an automobile. So, you know, you have to think about these things in terms of transformations and what an IoT enabled, regardless of whether it's actually IoT or it's just indicative data, right? What that does is that shifts you to understanding what is about to happen more predictive and preemptive. And that's what a forecast needs to be. When we talk about the consumer, the consumer doesn't have to be a person. The consumer could be the machine that wears out every six months or whatever, right? The consumer drives that demand. And if we can predict that consumer, which is what Robert's talking about, if we can predict that consumer, our forecast is so much better. It also allows us to fine tune the inventory much more effectively because we did this ages ago in the automotive industry. We knew how many hours it took for a regular incandescent headlight to burn out. So we would, we made some assumptions whenever we sold a headlight at our little retail stores. We made some assumptions about how much time they, those headlights were on, which is constantly now, but also their LEDs. Anyway, and we determined when we would start to see peaks in uh, demand from that. So it's possible to do by guessing, which is essentially what we did. Our data was very non-robust, but now there's a tremendous availability of robust data that enables you to do that. And you just have to. That's right. Ultimately, there will be things you have to rely (laughs) on post-casting for, but if you can reduce that to a subset of your items, then it it makes your supply chain so much more effective. Yeah, well said. Robert, we're we're talking number three here, uh, feeding your planning mechanisms and, and processes, lots of data, lots of robust data, as Greg mentioned, lots of cleaned and harmonized uh, data, perhaps. Your, your last word here, Robert. This is where companies have got, so every every big company, everyone, not nine out of 10, 10 out of 10, they have data issues. 
They have data quality issues. They have lack of harmonized data across locations. They don't have data dictionaries that call something the same thing, location to location. They have fragmented ERP instances. They all have that. And this is where the... um, this is where companies have to have somebody, again, a visionary type. They have to go and invest in getting that data cleansed and harmonized and put in some kind of common operational data store. There is so much value in doing that. And now we've gotten to the point, I mean, I've done now two projects with two big companies where we have put in place planning systems. We have put in place data warehouses alongside those planning systems because that is the engine that feeds those planning engines. So, um, it's always just historically, I've had so many clients that shy away from dumping a lot of money into getting the data right. They just limp along with it a lot of the times. And I call it the poor bastard approach because some poor guy has to deal with that at some point in time and he has to try and fix it. But they have, somebody has got, I think, to step up and really just say, we have to invest in that. There's a huge business case on the other side of doing this correctly. Mm, wow. That that conjures up so many different visuals there, Robert, including the definition of insanity in many ways, right? For lack of a commitment to really truly clean and harmonize data that to make your team members' job easier and make and, and allow them to make better, smarter decisions faster, right? Why, why, are we, why are we making things tougher in some cases for our team members? Greg, a lot. I, I told, said Robert would have the last word there, number three, but I want to give you the last word there, number three. Well, I think you have to recognize that this problem is largely a manufacturing problem, which is an incredible irony because long ago, retailers had, had to harmonize their data. They had to know that 603-9044 was a gallon jug of Prestone antifreeze, which it was and probably still is at O'Reilly Automotive. But <laughs> we couldn't afford to have you know non-harmonized or cleansed data because we had 700 or in their case now 3,000 stores. And we had to know what was across there. The difference with manufacturers is that they're, they've grown by acquisition, their margins are enormous, and therefore their problems are very, very high level. They only attack the things that really they can clearly see that hugely impact their margin. But mm. they have been had the luxury, I guess I would say, of being a bit sloppy in their supply chains manufacturers have because of their enormous net margins. Mm. Now... As I said before, there's no place to hide. So it doesn't matter what your margin is. You can't ignore that anymore because now the consumer knows it's your fault, not Target's fault, if you're out of Oreo cookies or whatever, right? Oh. Um, so, and they're never. Yeah, let's not do that, man. Never. No one. <laughs> they did have a little stumble, I learned. Actually, Mondelez did a little bit with Oreo cookies, but they recovered very quickly. So, but anyway, even that. It, got reported, right? There is no place to hide. You can't blame it on the retailer anymore and kind of hide behind the fact that you're not selling direct to the consumer. That's right. Okay. So we walked through the three of the four central components to uh, effective supply chain planning. Robert, love your approach here. Clearly been there, done that. We're kind of speaking not only to- Still doing it too, I think. That's right. That's right. I, I should add a, a future tense or, yeah. or whatever. My English teacher probably is like, Scott, Scott. Uh, but anyway, so alignment, integration, feeding, feeding the beast, I'll call it. Feed it lots of data. And number okay. four, what would that be, Robert? That is, there has to be governance and ownership of that capability set. So there, in supply chain, this is my opinion, right? S- supply chain planning- I think maybe more than any other capability, warehousing, production, transportation, I think supply chain planning is critical enough that it actually can really give you a competitive advantage. So it's a real strategic piece. 
which really merits the fact that it needs to be owned, certainly by the COO and certainly by that group of people that report up to that person. There needs to be so if you think about it too, the, the clock speed of industries is getting quicker. Things seem to be changing. More disruption happens more frequently. Competitive dynamics shift all the time, stuff like that, which means that your supply chain planning model has to shift along with that. And with the industry moving, hopefully you're ahead of the industry to some degree. I don't think you can do that successfully unless you've got somebody there who's doing environmental scanning and has really got kind of the strategic requirements of the firm there. So I think there's um, some ownership and some governance, and I think a good progressive supply chain suite would look and say, wow, we need to have finance as part of this, ownership and governance. We need to have product engineering, product development, sales and marketing certainly need to be part of that. So there is um, certainly a belief that I believe that uh, this has to be much more than a mundane set of tools with some data flowing through some um, pieces of software. It's, it's much more than that. Yeah, well said. Greg, your thoughts number four here. Well, that's the key to everything. I mean, part of what, you know, part of what Robert is advocating is executive awareness and executive involvement to create these governance and the ownership has to be at the top level. Like we said earlier, it is your brand you're putting out there and your supply chain has one job to deliver your brand promise, right? If that's product or whatever it is, you have to deliver that brand promise. And I think more and more executives are recognizing, again, going back to this, there's no place to hide now, (laughs) right? There's no plausible deniability in supply chain for anything. There's no way for you to give an excuse like our retailer ran out because they, everyone, everyone knows that you participated in them running out. There's no where to hide on ESG issues because people yeah. are, you're, you're now compelled to know who's ethical and not ethical or sustainable or not sustainable in your supply chain. And when it gets to those high of stakes, it has to be sponsored, championed by the highest level of the executive team. And that, that will produce the kind of governance that assures the kind of performance and the kind of accountability. I mean, even the kind of profitability that can come out of your supply chain. Excellent. Yeah. Robert? Yeah. yeah, I even, I talk about, so we've now seen, we've had SNOP for years, decades, in fact. We now see the emergence of IBP, Integrated Business Planning, which has got a couple different definitions. We don't have to tackle that here because you can get into fistfights around that thing. But <laughs> the... Um, IBP really, I think, emerged because of the gaps of SNOP to deliver this governance and this integration that Greg was just talking about. And uh, like I'll start talking about, so it, as if you're uh, giving guidance to Wall Street as a public company, the quality of your earnings is directly tied to how you're doing this. So there, mm-hmm. talk about having a, a good justification for getting this correct. So you can, I mean, if you get if you get your guidance incorrect, you'll get hammered, right? So that's a good justification for making all this work. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. We've got some great comments here. We'll try to circle back uh, to those here momentarily. But Robert and Greg, that's the four-point list, right? Alignment, integration, feed it lots of data. And then that last one, you know, effectively structured, sustainably structured by governance. And of course, that executive level um, oversight and, and really make sure it's important to them, right? So, and all that's in a nutshell, that's the Reader's Digest version of this four-point checklist. Okay. So Robert, one of the things we want to do here before, you know, we're going to make sure folks know how to connect with you and the GEP team and make sure folks know what y'all do. We've got a really cool resource that uh, you're offering up our listeners here. We'll get to that in a second. But what I love that you brought to the table here is is uh, allowing us to kind of bring it all together. And you've got a great visual I'm going to share here. So speak to this. 
kind of bring everything together, make these uh, these four essential components part of the overall model. Yeah, so this is this is I call the the kitchen sink view of supply chain planning. Right? It's everything, right? Elon Musk brought it over, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably right. So I would not expect every company that does planning to look like this. This is an all in approach, right? So and that we made it with that intent to show if you had an exhaustive view of supply chain planning, what would be there? And you can see that here. So just briefly here, you can see. At the top, for example, we talk about competitive strategy, and there we talk about the OE versus product leadership versus customer intimacy CI being kind of the major paradigm that feeds into this thing and acts as the design guide rails for how this is going to work together, the design of the metrics and the processes, even the job design and people that feed into this thing. So you see that there. Hopefully you see that it's got things going up and down. We've got information flowing back and forth from, from strategy down to execution. So that covers another one of ours. There is an implied, it doesn't, well, it does say their operating model and governance, that, that probably could be spelled out a little bit more, but that certainly would suggest that there's the executive ownership and the care and maintenance, exactly, of this whole program and the, the cross-functional uh, piece of that as well. And then, so what, what we should also, I guess, in, interpolate from this, you see all these individual boxes that are individual capabilities or, or technologies. There is data flowing through this. I mean, it has to. You can see that this would not be a model that's simply fed by order history. There's a lot more going on here. There is manufacturing, real-time manufacturing capacity. There is supplier capacity. There is inbound shipments. There are outbound shipments. There are inventories up and down the value chain that would be data that would be feeding this as well. And so the point being is that there, like I, I just say, the uh, we used to always say that you know if your supply chain will never, in a good way, design itself. You have to have a, a purposeful, strategic, thoughtful approach to that. If it does design itself, it's probably not a good thing. So you, you wouldn't have evolved to this complex model in some random way, right? There's thought around it. There's knowledge and experience around it. And that's what, re, you know, you have good supply chain practitioners come together and help figure out what exactly is the right capability set where we can be world, I think you should be market leading in supply chain planning uh, yes. to win in that market. Yes, it, you know, Greg, I'll get your take here, but just a second that, you know, one of the points you made a second ago is you don't want supply chains figuring out their own supply chains. It's like uh, there's a great water analogy somewhere. I'm not going to put it in a Shakespearean manner, but just like we want to manage water where it goes because water, man, if it's dictating its own, its own yeah. path forward, bad things are going to happen. I'm going to share a couple of quick comments in a second, but Greg, I'm going to get your, your take. I kind of, as we back up at a higher altitude and kind of look at the, the model as, as Robert just kind of briefly walked us through your thoughts, Greg. Well, that's an high chart, isn't it? I mean, and, and it, it is because it represents a very, very complex model. And I can't imagine, to, to your point, Robert, I can't imagine someone letting all that stuff, the chips sort of fall where they may, right? Or just being responsive. Oh, this is all that our vendor this is what our vendor presented, so we'll go that way. You have right. to be very intentional about design. We talk about that a lot, right? We've talked about that with analysts over and over and over again about how to be intentional about supply chain design. And it all starts with that executive buy-in, that executive sponsorship or championing that forces you to set goals, right? How will this contribute? I think one of the greatest friends of the supply chain is usually the finance department. I know that sounds yeah. odd. Probably most people don't feel that way, but when you have an understanding of how, and I don't mean budgets necessarily, I mean higher than that. I mean 
how does supply chain contribute to our gross margin, our net margin, our cash flow, right? Our cost of goods sold, all of those things. How does it contribute to those big things that, Robert, you talked about? You have to report to the market or you have to report to your shareholders, whether they're public or private. How does it contribute to those things? And if you take that stance, that highest level stance in terms of how you build and design your supply chain, you will inherently right, begin with the end in mind and you will inherently build an effective and an efficient and a resilient, right, anti-fragile supply chain with, you know, with the appropriate risk balancing. Love that. Okay. I want to share a couple of quick comments here. So Jenny, Jenny says, uh, important to have that kitchen sink view. It all, it all has to work together. Well said there, my friend. It um, feels overwhelming. I mean, when you look at it, it looks overwhelming and it is, which is why you have to be intentional about it, right? Excellent point. Basil, uh, great to have you here via LinkedIn. Uh, he's asking about sharing that slide. Hey, this is, and of course, Robert, you've got the veto authority. My hunch would be to direct people and Basil included to the uh, the resource we're going to have. And I bet if they want the slide, if they sign up for that playbook, maybe your team can reach out and, and offer what you can share. Does that sound like a good plan there, Robert? Yeah, I'm happy to share. Absolutely. There's no issue with sharing that at all. Okay. We, we could do that. We could, all, if you want to ping me on LinkedIn and just send me your email address and request that slide, I'm happy to do that as well. Excellent. And you know what? Uh, thank you very much, Robert. Basil, uh, Basil, probably. Apologies. We have Robert's LinkedIn profile one click away in the, the episode notes, live stream notes. So check that out and we will make that as easy as possible. So thank you both. And then finally, this is Amit. Amit says, uh, and I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to read this without posting it because I don't want to cut Robert off there. We're tiny when we, you know. <laughs> We've got a new billboard system. We're trying to make make it easy for folks to read some of the great comments that are submitted. Amit says, great points, Robert and Greg. Governance is crucial for sustainability, especially from a process and capability perspective. We need to ensure new and best practices are codified. Further, while democratization of data, I can't believe I said that word right, uh, yeah, democratization of data impacting point number three is important. It is more important to ensure that citizens share a common vision, number one, to allow for better planning, fully integrated, number two, across the enterprise. Robert and Greg, I don't know about you, but Amit is ready for that post live stream quiz based on these four uh, <laughs> topics, uh, Robert. Man, good yeah, stuff there. I agree. So I would yeah. say that the thing that uh, his comment is leading me to, I did work with a company, um, $8 billion heavy equipment OEM. They had four different divisions, which were very autonomous. And so it justified, we, we convinced them to stand up a planning center of excellence. And I think a lot of companies out there could benefit from that. The technology is complex. You want to have a standard approach. If you have a multi-BU company, there are things you can leverage around data, for example. And you can also think around the comments here about sharing best practices inside the enterprise. A center of excellence approach would help that. If the company is going to go invest in a lot of different planning capabilities, you want to do it in a synergistic way. And Make sure you're, you know, leveraging off one another and things like that. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And Meet <laughs> says, the only passing grade in my life. That's who we were just talking to. Well, hey. uh, I think I went to school with him. <laughs> we I sat mean, in the back of the class together. <laughs> thank you for bringing it. And thank you for your sense of humor as well. Okay. So, Robert, as we're kind of coming down, starting to come down the home stretch here, I want to, uh, you know, level setting is so important, right? Folks make all, all sorts of assumptions or worse yet. It's in their blind spot and they don't, they're don't. they not able to connect the dots. I know I'm guilty of it. What do you, let's level set with what you and the GEP do, uh, team do in a nutshell. What, what do y'all do? 
So GEP has been around for more than 20 years. They have a lengthy history of being a leader in sourcing and procurement, both advisory services and technology. They're right up there with the big boys, Accenture, IBM, on the software side with Coupa and Ariba. And they're really a market leader when it comes to sourcing and procurement. Now, for the last two years, we've been commensurately growing the supply chain practice. And that's one of the things I'm one of the leaders here in our supply chain practice. So we're you know, going to do the same thing in supply chain as we've done in sourcing and procurement. Big focus on advisory services. We also do managed services as well, like small-scale BPO. We also do our own custom technology uh, with our own platform. So we do everything from supply chain strategy, target operating model design type work, all the stuff we talked about here, aligning your supply chain operating model to your competitive strategy. We do a lot of that. We do a lot of traditional management consulting, warehouse operations, production operations, process design capability, lots of SNOP type stuff. We also do technology consulting as well. So we are a full-service firm like that. We're agile, we're small, we're very quick, and we're really deep into the whole digital space. Okay, man. Greg, what out of all of that, Greg, what really sticks out to you that maybe is a, uh, a really underserved aspect of that value proposition? Uh, wow. Well, I'll tell you, I think this, the talent aspect of it is the hardest part. It's always been the hardest part, right? I mean, even before the pandemic, we had a 5% unemployment rate in just in the U.S. in supply chain. And that was just the jobs that were listed, right? We had mm. over 2 million unfilled supply chain jobs in 2019 out of 44 million supply chain practitioners in, in North America. And we had probably have more now as people have retired and those roles have not been replaced. So you either have to replace that skill set, that knowledge base, and frankly, the operational aspects of it with a shift in process or external persons or automation. And I think the, you know, the fact that you have, Robert, where you are, you have such an incredible collection of supply chain talent is really important. Uh, you know, we talk about this a whole lot, Scott. I mean, this has become more and more a trend where companies are, they focus on the thing they're good at right? I mean, brands are good at branding. They're not great at supply chain, right? So to have an external resource who can either design it for you or even do it for you, that's what managed services mean, by the way, mm-hmm. doing it for you, then there's a tremendous amount of power in that. I've seen it. I mean, I did it way back when for MGM, they didn't even want to build a supply chain organization back when they had to physically distribute videos, right? Right. They didn't even want to build it. And I think a lot of companies are going that way. They know what they're good at. They're sticking to that. And then they're using automation or fractional resources or outsourcing to deliver this really, truly, unbelievably complex business solution. Love that. I bet a lot of folks can relate to what you just shared there. And uh, Robert, I bet you're welcome to take phone calls, emails, LinkedIn's, a talk shop about all of these topics and some of the gaps and, and, and the know-how and the do-how maybe, how organizations do this. Is that right, Robert? Do-how, I like <laughs> Yeah, I learned a new word. Yeah, do-how. I like that. All right. <laughs> so, all right, so I'll, let's do this. We're going to make sure folks know how to connect with you. But first, you have brought uh, a great resource here today, the Supply Chain Planning Strategic playbook. So tell us, why should folks check this out? Again, there's a link for this in the notes as well, along with Robert's LinkedIn profile. What's in here and why should folks check it out? It contains what we talked about here today, which that's only part of it. So if you're looking to build the case inside your organization for better supply chain planning, this is a great place to start. 
It's really kind of an executive level set of messaging. It talks about the difficulties in supply chain planning. Why is it why is it hard to do? I'm sure a lot of the companies and the folks on this call will see themselves and how we describe that. How to um, how to address those things and how to get them right. How it leads to competitive advantage. What are the benefits of it and things like that. So it's a great starting point if you're going down that path and saying, hey, you know what? We've got an ERP in place. We've got some old planning tool and it just isn't doing it for us anymore. How can I start thinking in a new way about that? And what are some, we give some perspectives on technology. The technology landscape is daunting to say the least. <laughs> Here, we are at a, a pivotal point in history, not trying to be super dramatic, but we really are. So many things are changing right now. We're moving off of old tech, which is old ERP and best of breed old tools like that that cost millions of dollars and don't sometimes deliver to new tech, which is a lot more about custom apps and analytical tools and driving things off use cases instead of doing a four-year ERP implementation. Let's go tackle strategic use cases one by one. How can we go forecast better? How can I optimize inventory? Those kinds of things. There's a huge amount of stuff going on out there. And this guide, will, I think, will at least give some of the uh, the pieces of that and some of the foundational ideas. Love that. And it's one click away. In fact, uh, we've also dropped this in the chat. It's also on the episode notes. Y'all check that out. Okay, let's do this. So uh, big thanks, by the way, Catherine and Amanda, the whole team behind the scenes helping make production happen. Appreciate what they do. We're going to wrap with Robert here. We're going to all wrap together uh, and call it a show here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I'm going to get Robert's information and then we're going to get Greg's big grand takeaway. We're going to start branding, branding that one key thing here soon. But Robert, I really appreciate what you've shared here today and the manner in which you've shared it. Uh, I think a lot of folks will welcome a, a chat with you. How can, what's the easiest way for folks to uh, connect with you and the GEP team? I would say LinkedIn. I'm certainly I'm certainly pretty active on LinkedIn. There's no, there's no issue there. If you have questions or if you have any, looking for any kind of help or even just advice, a sounding board, that would be a, a perfect place to start. Just be a little patient. I got a lot of stuff going on, but I absolutely will respond. I promise that. I believe it. Uh, I believe it. And I bet you've got several full plates, uh, including some of the things you shared pre-show uh, that we didn't get a chance to get to here today, but a lot of good stuff. Well, big thanks. Uh, and Robert, don't go anywhere, but really have enjoyed your perspective here. Robert Jacoby, Vice President, Global Supply Chain Consulting Practice with GEP. And Gene, I agree with you. Great show today, and I hope you have a great weekend. Gene mentioned uh, earlier, I didn't share it, Robert and Greg, but Gino mentioned a welcome or hello from Leaf Town. I think he's battling because I think the trees have given up the ghosts and they're dropping <laughs> everything these days. I don't know about y'all's yard. So Robert, before we all, we're going to uh, all call the show here in a second. But before we do that, Greg, Robert has dropped a ton of knowledge, uh, a ton of important perspective with context that I think folks are, are going to think about and kind of um, dwell on here maybe for the next few hours. But Greg, if they forget everything else, what's one thing that Robert shared here today, one thing that folks got to pay attention to. Don't backslide. I mean, don't hope that things go back to normal because they won't. I mean, he showed you the complexities that are exi that existed before COVID, and every one of those has a potential frailty and a potential fragility in your supply chain. You have to attack those that you know or to be the weakest in your supply chain, or you have to identify those potential risk points in your supply chain and you you have to do what, probably the greatest advice I was ever given. I'm trying to find a more eloquent way to say this, maybe a more uplifting way to say this. <laughs> the very first advice that I got when I got into supply chain was assume everyone will fail you mm. and provision for that. Mm. And if you find those most proximate fragilities, those most likely fragilities and plan for that, 
then you can start to build that your supply chain design and strength little by little because it is very daunting to undertake all of those points at once. But just think of it as a leaky boat, right? Find the biggest leak and fix that first. Get to the next leak after that. Love it. Um, but also, mostly, you have to engage your executives. And, your, and I would encourage, I know lots of executives watch these shows. So I would encourage any of you who are in the C-suite, VP suite, in your organization, whether you're in sales or you're in supply chain, or if you're the CEO or finance leader in, in the company, care about supply chain, recognize that it delivers your brand identity. It delivers more than your goods. It delivers your entire brand credibility and attack it with the appropriate fervor. Love that. Uh, don't call on the clowns, call on the pros. Give Robert and the GP a call, but uh, love that. Keep that That's right. Love that, Greg. Uh, Robert, a lot of goodness. Uh, Bazile, thank you very much. I got that right now. Thank you so uh, for sharing that. Great to have you here. And Shritaran, thank you. Checking out. Let us know. I'll tell you what, let us know what you think of the playbook. We'd love to get your feedback and great that you've been part of the conversation here today. It's okay. very good. I went through it. It's okay. really incredibly helpful. Yeah. Man. Okay. So Robert, next time we're going to get Greg White's book report. Are you game for that, Greg? <laughs> All right, Robert? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Give me a grade. Uh, <laughs> Robert will grade me. All right. Me and me, we'll have, we'll get our first passing grades of all time. That's right. <laughs> well, everybody, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Big thanks again to Robert and GEP team. Greg, always a pleasure to knock these out with you. Yeah, likewise. All the folks in the comments know we couldn't hit everybody here today. Let us know. Download, check out that playbook. Let us know what you think. Make sure you connect with Robert out there doing big things and appreciate his willingness to share a lot of those uh, critical expertise because it's it, it's changing economy. It's changing industry. And how we got here is going to look a lot different of how we go to where we're going next. But folks, now that you've got the ideas, you've got to take action, right? Deeds, not words. On that note, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain, I'm Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. We'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.